Welcome to an emergency edition of the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, an icon of the left and anchor of the United States Supreme Court, has died. And this is just weeks before a presidential election, and it is really shaken up the race. Joining us now, Democratic strategist Kathy Allen and Republican strategist Randy Peppel. And a lot to talk about here, a lot to unpack. And, and first off, Kathy, let's start with you. What is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy? Well, as a woman who's actually met her several times, worked on one of her cases with her, the fact is, is that um, she was my heroine. And in all of this, what's interesting is today you don't get to be a heroine just because you can fly. What it is now is that you have to be unique. You can't be a gorgeous, smart woman who has everything going for her. What you have to be is a woman who has a great storyline. And this woman from rags to riches, uh, the closeness of growing up in New York with obviously a Jewish heritage, having to take on one challenge after another and to do it in a way that she recalled with such humor. I mean, the woman was the most sarcastic as well as endearing person. Uh, it, it really stunned me when so many young women all of a sudden started showing up with RBG jewelry, face masks, uh, all kinds of, I would say, posters, bumper stickers, all of that it seemed very unlikely because it obviously she represented a generation of women much more like me than these young kids who were adoring her. But what happened in all of this is that what you never listen to if your mother's saying it is something that something like RBG comes along and says, and all of a sudden she's brilliant. And with that, she just became someone that warmed an entire new generation of young women to stand by her as this unlikely, but absolutely smart, adorable, I wish I were more like you kind of woman that people from old and young really liked. Even my Republican friends had to say, I had over 140 kind of emails last night from folks just sharing the sadness. And I could not believe that they ranged from age five from Lebanon, all the way to 102 from a senior home in Massachusetts. And so from all of that, she had such a range of people that we really looked up to. There was a backbone there that was stronger than any cancer could kill. And we believed her. And uh, Randy, the other thing, too, is she was able to cross the aisle quite a bit. And this always surprised a lot of people. She was great friends with the late Antonin Scalia. Yes. I mean, she she was the legal giant. I mean, there, there's there's no denying that. And, and I think that is her legacy is is uh, uh, really her legal career uh, from from being an advocate as a lawyer arguing before the Supreme Court to becoming Supreme uh, Court justice. So I, I think it's really that legal reasoning that is going to be uh, lost. And as you say, it, it's that a willingness to work, you know, across different blocks within the Supreme Court to reach uh, a legal conclusion that they can support. And uh, that's something that I think uh, uh, just Chief Justice Roberts is trying desperately to maintain on the Supreme Court. And it became much harder yesterday. Uh, and, uh, you know, that adds to Justice Ginsburg's legacy that, uh, that her loss is really going to be felt deeply in how the court is viewed by the American public. I think I would be insincere in making this argument, but, you know, 
the charm of Randy and I trying to talk to one another about totally idealistic different models is not was something that I used to actually look in, in Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she would hang around with this other justice that I thought was absolutely abhorrent. But the fact is, is that she would make each one of these times that she was with him, one where, where she and Scalia were just the kind of, this is a paid comical team that was using ideology to prove you could still be humane and civil with one another. So I think that there's a lot you learn from her that's not just the obvious, but it, it was always her sense of humor that people would go back to and remember. That great question of, well, when will you stop working in terms of how many women do we have to have on the Supreme Court before you know you stop working? Nine, she says. These are the kind of things that uh, in reading and just hearing her just give people a smile with such a respect. And of course, this launches a political fight when we're just weeks out from the presidential election. And Randy, what's the Republican strategy here? Because there's a number of ways that they can go. We already see that President Trump plans to nominate someone. He And Mitch McConnell says that person's going to get a vote. Yeah, I, I, I think the strategy uh, is uh, being determined on the fly. Um, uh, Clearly, the, the president is going to go forward with the nomination. Uh, he has promised that, and there's no reason uh, why he wouldn't. Whether or not Senator McConnell ends up taking up that nomination before the election, uh, I think remains to be seen. I think there's a greater likelihood it would be taken up in a lame duck session after the election than before. Because if it, it if we end up with a Supreme Court nomination before the election, I suspect it will uh, guarantee that the Republicans will lose the majority in the U.S. Senate. There's a number of different plays here. I mean, it, you know, if, if the Republicans put it off until after the election, then it becomes a major get-out-the-vote campaign for the right. You have the Democrats, which are already motivated to vote, but the, the Republicans, particularly conservatives that aren't huge fans of Trump, would then have a reason. Is that a, a fair assessment? That's absolutely uh, one of the uh, strategic angles in play is... Uh, and, the, and the smart play, and one that probably wouldn't endanger the Senate majority as much, would be if Trump just says, here is who I'm going to nominate when I'm reelected, and ask Joe Biden who he's going to nominate and make the election about a Supreme Court justice. Because, frankly, Donald Trump needs this election to be about anything other than Donald Trump if he's going to have any hope to uh, eke out an electoral college victory. Do you agree with that, Kathy? I think there's some truth to it. What I worry about is, again, uh, a little bit more of a surprise on this one is that I he's not going to be nominating Ted Cruz. I think in this case, he's going to go for someone very much like the second choice he had for the his last appointment. And that is he's going to have a woman. He's going to have someone that's going to be a little more moderate, but somebody who is going to be like, have a little bit more energy than perhaps uh, I would say he was looking at in the past. I think that in all of this, he's going to have a neutralizer for him. He's going to have somebody that's steady, that's smart, that has the credentials, and he's not going to have somebody that's going to be further pushing everything to the right. Democrats, on the other hand, have to be careful how we handle this. Thank goodness, after COVID, we didn't have to worry about living through all of the repercussions of impeachment. The fact is, is that when we try to, uh, when we try to be destructive or we try to stop them, in doing so, we can lose more ground than we ever win, and that's sort of been our record. The important part for me is that we don't 
overplay this and let the American people actually see uh, that a process is being um, changed again based upon what we thought would be a more fair resolution. And taking a look at the polls today, of course, they're like between 15 and 20 points more for Biden to make the choice, not necessarily assuming that Biden's going to win. But yeah, those numbers have to be predicated on that. All of this tells me it's unpredictable, like so much in these last four years and certainly in this year. Unpredictable. Every day we'll have another chapter. And and Randy, you know, why not push something through right now if you're the Republicans and, and get something done before the election? It's a really, to borrow a phrase, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to slam dunk your agenda and solidify your base. Well, there's two problems with that is that there, there's always an opposing point of view. And if the Republicans were to do that and to nominate and uh, to, you know, vet, nominate uh, and confirm a Supreme Court justice uh, before November 1st, before the election, they will most certainly uh, put the onus on uh, Senator Susan Collins in Maine, Joni Ernst's race in Iowa. Cory Gardner in Colorado. McSally, right. Yeah, in uh, Arizona. Arizona. Mm -hmm. All of those people could see their uh, chances of victory evaporate uh, in a very ugly Supreme Court fight that will center on the issue of abortion. And that will be uh, all that they will be able to talk about in the last three weeks of their campaigns when when people are voting. So uh, I think that's that's one of the uh, bad outcomes if you try to jam this through. The second one, though, is then after the election, if Democrats win, if Republicans take such a brazen approach to being in the majority, what is to stop a, a Senate a Democrat majority of 51 votes of eliminating the filibuster and then adding four new Supreme Court justices to make up for the two that they feel have been stolen by the Republicans? Packing the court. When you get that brazen, you set up those types of consequences. You mentioned the senators, and, and there's there's a number of them. Martha McSally in Arizona, Cory Gardner in Colorado. You mentioned Susan Collins in Maine, Joni Ernst in Iowa. Uh, and, and even most recent polls show a tie for Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. There is a lot of territory for Republicans to defend this time around. And it, Kathy is... Is that almost like playing three-dimensional chess, hoping Republicans overplay their hand so it makes it easier to take the Senate and flip those seats for Democrats? Well, the intrinsic part of this is going to be strategy that helps them save the Senate more than help uh, Donald Trump. Donald will have the... Donald and Mitch McConnell, I just heard today that another poll coming out of Kentucky showed that the the woman uh, challenger against him uh, actually is, she's now two percentage points behind him. Now, every one of us who supports her, we all go back to the fact that this is never going to happen, that a person like Mitch Mitch McConnell is going to be beaten by this marvelous... Amy McGrath is, I mean, Amy McGrath is a good candidate. Uh, You know, she's a former uh, pilot. She's a good candidate for Kentucky. But frankly, this debate on a Supreme Court justice it actually helps some Republicans. And Mitch McConnell's one of them. Yep. This this makes it easier for him to win re-election. And frankly, if, if this fight were to come to pass, it would help Lindsey Graham as well in South Carolina. What it is, is that it would be strategic from the point of view of Mitch is in the majority, but then what happens is that he 
benefits from this early pushing through. But then what happens is he loses the United States Senate altogether. That's the or other part about the, this. It's, the, it's the, going to the be other too part many of this moving is pieces. Mitch McConnell may well be pushing this forward because it helps him. Yep. And he thinks it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, if it allows Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, McSally, uh, mm-hmm. Mitt Romney, uh, those four people to vote uh, with the Democrats to stop the nomination, that could actually help them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And then you'd have to go back with a new uh, nomination after the presidential election. Actually, it's also interesting that you would call it three-dimensional. I think I'm going to borrow that because that is exactly what this becomes. It's not just one race or one level. The fact that in Arizona that um, what happens is that if the Democrat wins, um, if Kelly were to win, that what happens is that you end up with another vote to go along with uh, Lisa Murkowski and, and Susan Collins. So you've already got a potential for tying any nominee. And then what happens is that whatever any of these others, the forsaken or the actual Republican senators who are not reelected, they potentially have the right to turn and do what they think is right on the way out. The other thing to think about, too, is, I mean, we've been kind of dancing around this issue. I think uh, you mentioned this, Randy. Is this really all about Roe versus Wade? Well, the impact of replacing uh, Justice Ginsburg with a more conservative voice would be felt on a wide variety of of issues. Um, But I think abortion will be the top one. I mean, I have already received a dozen different emails from political campaigns, parties, you know, Jay Inslee, the state Democratic Party, Mitch McConnell, the National Republican Governors Association. I mean, all of them are coming in and it's all about Roe v. Wade. I mean, that's that's what Jay Inslee's leading with. I mean, and when if you can get a Jay Inslee to say something that isn't about climate change, then you, you really have something there. And that's what this is about. I think that's part of it. But I also think it's it's much bigger now. It really becomes the whole the whole right agenda that has to do with, I think, the uh, health care reform, the Affordable Care Act. I think that is as big um, at risk as Roe v. Wade. I think that there are other things in regards to immigration policy, a lot that has to do with even just some of the decisions about things from coronavirus to our military involvement elsewhere. There is a package or what we like to say is it's going to take, you know, four and a half years to undo everything that Democrats want to undo that this president has done. From that perspective, I think there's as a package right now that looms in the in the absolute middle of it all. It's the tug of war ball that people have to figure out how to get. Is that really the modal outcome? Because you, you look at the last two nominees with, with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh uh, that Trump put on the Supreme Court, conservatives really didn't get the court that they wanted in this last term and the decisions that were made. A lot of that had to do with John Roberts then becoming the swing justice, as it were. But even Brett Kavanaugh sided with the liberals on the court on a number of issues. It, it didn't take the hard right with those two nominees. That's true. And I don't think it uh, it will ever again. What happens if you make these such a pawn of a president? The fact is, if these people have any integrity whatsoever, the fact is they stand up to be able to prove to people, just like candidates do, that they're not uh, wholly beholden to one party or the other. And the independence of this of this court has been 
just a great blessing because not a lot of people expected it. You assume what a Supreme Court justice will do once they're on the bench with great peril. Um, because let's face it, once they get through that nomination process and they, they get the robe, they get to keep it until they die or they, they decide to give it up voluntarily. And yep. that is a very liberating occupation. And so that's why you, you have someone like Chief Justice Roberts, who really is focused on how do we make sure that the court is seen as the impartial arbiter, uh, particularly in these highly partisan times. And you see other justices stepping into roles that are not that, that are that are not about the law itself, but more about the court as an institution. And I think Justice Ginsburg was one of those that that had the court as an institution at the forefront as well. Do you think that whomever the president nominates, because he did guarantee a nomination and, and Mitch McConnell guaranteed a, a up or down vote on that? Do you think whomever he nominates that would would try to play that role, or is that going to be part of the vetting process uh, in in the president trying to select a nominee? You are going to be a conservative. Well, he's already identified who. I, I mean, I, he's got his list out of here. Are the here are the people that I'm going to consider for my next appointment. He put it out last month. I mean, you can just go to that list and find it. And they're all conservative jurists. I mean, we, we talk about moderate and liberal and conservative uh, on, with the Supreme Court and. And the reality is, is that all of the nominees of a Republican president would consider themselves conservative jurists, just like every nominee of a Democrat president would consider themselves a liberal jurist. I mean, it, that, that's just the way it is. But as Justice Ginsburg showed, you can work across those lines depending on the case uh, and the impact of the law. So, you know, once uh, a nominee is is put up there, it, it will be somebody that's already been vetted as as a conservative. <laughs> but how quickly they'll be able to get the Senate to act it still remains to be seen. I I, I don't uh, uh, envy trying to get this done in the uh, six weeks you've got until the election, because at the same time, the government runs out of money at the end of <laughs> September. They have to actually pass a budget bill this week. Uh, or else we're going to be in government shutdown. So, you know, 2020 has been a unique year. But, uh, you know, if we have a government shutdown and the only uh, thing in government that's working is the U.S. Senate to have, hear a Supreme Court nomination, um, that I, I'm going to be looking over the hills for the for the plague of locusts next. I, I mean, that is just unprecedented. How does Mitch McConnell justify pushing through a nominee, whether it's before the election or in the lame duck session, considering what was done to Merrick Garland four years ago. How does he do those mental gymnastics? How does he justify that? I think it's easy for him to justify it. The president and the senator of the same party. That was not the case four years ago. That's what, And that's what he said in 2016. I mean, I, you know, I think it's very easy for Mitch McConnell to justify it. Now, whether anybody will accept that or not, you know, or, or a majority of, of the public will accept that or not, uh, remains to be seen. I doubt that they will. However, they don't have a vote here. You know, if if this person is going to get an up or down vote in the United States Senate, the person who's going to decide that is Mitch McConnell. Now, he's going to do it in consultation with uh, his Republican colleagues. The Democrats have already said that, you know, Chuck Schumer came out this morning, the, the Democrat leader, and said no nominee before uh, uh, before the presidential election or before a new president. And uh, so they're all locked up. McConnell doesn't have all 52 of his fellow uh, Republican senators in line for any nomination and, and frankly, for any process. 
and it may well allow three or four of them to step forward. Uh, it would have to be four uh, to step forward and say, we're not going to do it. And this process would come to a halt. I think that what we would do as Democrats in this is just go back to the beginning and say, you saw what he, you saw what these folks said four years ago. You saw how they obstructed a process that we would be following if we knew uh, how it was going to end. The fact for us right now is that we are going to preach. This is a party now of being able to bring stability out of the chaos of this crazy president. And so from this perspective, what we will be talking about is you can make up your own mind on this. You heard them then. And I'm waiting for the 150 new uh, TV, newspaper, every ad, banner ad to actually show. Here's what Mitch McConnell said then. And here's what he says now. The fact is, is that what I believe is that people will believe it's wrong. People will know what's going to happen. People will see as this all plays out how it affects their vote come November 3rd. Bottom line, I'll put this to both of you. What happens? We have a nominee. Um, I like Randy's suggestion that the Democrats start talking about, well, if he wants to force us to add another four more members to that Supreme Court, we can do that. And then I think what happens is that we, we actually have this incredibly tenuous period. We were already looking at a 90% turnout here in Washington state. Can you imagine what this does to the rest of the country? I guess I, what I think is it's uh, stay tuned. And from my standpoint, I, I agree with Kathy. There will be a nominee to Donald Trump uh, uh, loves the spotlight. And this is an opportunity for him to strut around um, and, and uh, uh, pick a Supreme court nominee uh, and dominate the airwaves as, as he likes to do. I do not think that we're going to have a vote um, before the election. Uh, I think that there will be enough Republican senators that will go to Mitch McConnell and say, I won't vote for this before the election. I will not vote on a nominee that he will put it off until after the election. And then depending on how the election turns out, we'll see whether uh, those Republicans would remain as steadfast about not pursuing a nomination then. All right, Randy Peppel, Republican strategist, Kathy Allen, Democratic strategist, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pojla. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store. And, of course, you can subscribe to any of our other Como News podcasts. Just go to comonews.com slash podcasts. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.